Welcome to Lifehouse Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. David Thomas this week issues a challenge. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a disciple or do you want to stay on board the luxury cruiser and relax, put your feet up? It's a difficult question and David does really well in unpacking the biblical ramifications of the choice you make. As always, visit www.life-house.net for more Lifehouse resources. Here's David. Last week, we looked at what is normal discipleship. So we started to um, address that. I didn't finish it. Can you just drop the volume here? Because I want to lift my voice a bit. And I'm getting, yeah, that's better. Can you all hear me? Awesome. So we probably coming to the end of our series on Discipleship 101. And last week we were looking at what is normal discipleship. And I kept throwing these questions at you. These questions were going out all the time. And it was, who is responsible in your life for the environment that you find yourself in? Who is responsible for your discipleship journey? So as a disciple, you get born again, you become a baby. Then you grow to become a novice. And then you grow to become uh, to, uh, to, to maturity. So who is responsible taking you on this journey? Um, how much personal responsibility do you take for the state that you are in right now? And remember what discipleship is. The very essence of discipleship is where you are now becoming like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Where you are now becoming more and more like Jesus every day. So tomorrow you need to be more, that, more like Jesus than you were today. And that's the essence of discipleship. So we're going to continue on with normal discipleship, but before I look at it, I just want to catch you up from last week and give you that frame of reference I gave you last week. Now the frame of reference is I want you to look at discipleship within, this, within these parameters. 2 Corinthians 5.11, what you are is recognized by God, by yourself, by others. Okay? So when we strip away all the deception, we know what we really are deep down. And we know that God knows and we know that other people know. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try and persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. The second thing, frame of reference, is to test yourself, all right? Test yourself to see that you have not failed, and this is the reason for this list or these lists that I'm giving you. This is re- the reason for these, this picture I'm painting of the normal disciple. Now, here's the thing about the normal disciple. You will never tick all the boxes, Because the day you finally take that pen and you're looking at that last box and you tick it is the day you either die or get raptured. Okay? That's it. The day you reach normalcy, full, complete normalcy, is the day you stand next to Jesus. So what you've got to do is you've got to test yourself. You've got to examine yourself. You've got to evaluate your performance so that what you are today is not what you are tomorrow. If you are the same tomorrow as you are today, get your list out. What's happening? 
So 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to 6 says, examine it out of the Amplified Version. Test, evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing proper fruits of it. I've got three points today. The first point is the continuation of last week with the list, what is a normal discipleship. And the second point that I'm going to give you is probably the most important point of the series. Okay, so if you take these five sermons, sermons out of the series and you understand David is preaching a series on discipleship and you want to understand the essence of it, that's my second point today. And it's so simple. All right. And then the third point is the continuation of that second one. So three points. Now, let's, let's, let's go into that list. Normal discipleship basically is abundance, conquering, victorious, triumphant, and a holy life. That's what a normal disciple looks like. A normal disciple has an abundant life, a conquering life, a triumphant life, a holy life. And I started giving you this list, and we looked at the spiritual qualifications last week. A disciple has to be born again. A disciple has to follow Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism, has to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and has to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I started my list last week about a disciple, must, he must be blameless, of good behavior, vigilant, temperate, sober, just, holy, lover of good, hospital patient, not a brawler, no, uh, not, not angry, not a striker, not greedy for filthy lucre, not covetous, uh, not covetous and not self-willed. And I'm going to continue that list now. A disciple is not given to wine. Okay? Now, this is one of the funny things I find out about Christians, especially young Christians, they, they like the odd beer. And they, and they come and they say, well, the Bible doesn't say about you can't drink. Correct. But the Bible, the general picture of the Bible says, don't get involved with alcohol. Period. You know, and then Paul goes along and says, well, have a bit of wine with your water. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is, don't fiddle around and play around with stuff that can get you addicted, whatever it is. Stay away from that. So use that as an example. So a disciple is someone that can recognize something that can addict them and stay away from it. A disciple must be of good report. In other words, have a good testimony. When you go out and you speak about this disciple, people will say, oh, Joe, that's a fantastic guy. You go to Joe's work. Oh, Joe, he's one of our best workers. You go to Joe's friends. Oh, Joe, then they're all unsaved. He's a fantastic guy. So a disciple carries a good report. Another thing about a disciple is he's grave. 1 Timothy 3.8. In other words, honorable. Honorable. A disciple is someone who is honorable, who is honest. Not double-tongued. A disciple is not double-tongued. A disciple doesn't say one thing and do another thing. What you see is what you get. Yeah, he's not going to say one thing to you and do something behind your back. A disciple's not double-tongued. A disciple's not a slanderer. A slanderer is someone who will come and give a report that is intended, it's a false report, that is intended to destroy someone. You'll never find a disciple doing that. To tell the truth in such a way as to vilify someone. 
A disciple is faithful. In other words, if you walk into the, 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 the influence, the circle of influence of a disciple, you will find that that disciple is reliable, trustworthy, honest, dependable. He is a faithful person. A disciple is a steward. Okay? He really is a good manager of his household. He's a good manager of the things of God. Now, remember, I'm taking this list that is given to Timothy to make a list of saying, if you want to pick a leader in the church, this is it. And I'm taking this list of leadership and I'm saying, well, this is the discipleship list. And Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, he says a, a, a leader needs to desire the office. Now you'll notice when I come and recruit people for leadership, I'll come, I'll recruit, I'll identify the gifts, and I'll say, go away and think about it. And they've got to come back to me and desire the office. I'll never chase after them. But here's the thing about discipleship. I'm just adding something to this concept. A disciple needs to desire the lifestyle of a disciple. Think about that. Think about that. Desire the lifestyle. How many times have you walked around and started speaking to, Christian, uh, to Christians and there's this like this, at, 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 just this background sense that you get about them that it's, a, that it's a burden for them to be a Christian? Hey, have, you, have you felt that? You, you're, in their, you're in their presence and it's, you know, this, this life is so hard. It's not. I want to be next to someone like this because I know I can be who I am being next to someone like this. And a disciple is an example. Now here's the thing. The minute you connect to God, you will change. That's a fact. Test me on that. Go and test me on that. Go and see if I'm wrong in just what I've said there. You see, whenever there's a relationship taking place, the people in the relationship, once the relationship is engaged, begin to change. Now, here's the thing about your relationship with God. God's not going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you are going to change. And the more intimate you get with God, the more you are going to change, and the more this is going to influence you. This is going to rub off on you. And so if you, com- you commit yourself to this intimacy with God, half the time you're not going to have to worry about ticking any boxes. Because God is going to just, that, that influence of God in your life is just going to start changing you, and you're going to become more and more like God, and this is what God is like. These are the characteristics. If you take these characteristics, this is, Paul gives them to Timothy to give to leaders and says, this is leaders' characteristics. I'm going to tell you something now. You take these characteristics and put them on God. They're his characteristics. He is faithful, loyal, just, honorable. And so these begin to influence into that life. And so that's the character of a disciple. 
The third area that you can check out a disciple to see whether a person is a disciple is look at their family. Have a look at the disciple's family. This is a fantastic test for you. You want to start bringing people around you, and you want to start relying on people and working with people and, and, disciple and, and, and going out and doing God's things with people and a team around you. Just have a peek at their family life. So if you are a man and you are a husband, well, go and look at the husband. Go and look at how he rules his home. Now, just, but just by using these words, the RC people, religiously correct people, and the PC people are just going to freak out right now. Rule. Just see if he rules his home. Okay. Man, I, I tell you, I don't know how many husbands have come to me, you know, when they come to marriage counseling with me, and it's like, yeah, you know, I, and, and, and they want to bring the wife, I'm the head of the house. And I said, really? Yeah, yeah, I'm the head of my house. The Bible, why, why? The Bible says so. Really? Fantastic. So you're doing what the head of the house does. Wife is broken, bleeding, you know, abused, and he's like pompously sitting there as the little feathers up and head of the house. And then I just open the next verse to that scripture. And I say, do you love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave up everything for her? And you just see those little feathers, you know, start going down. <laughs> little chest go in. And you see the spirit of the wife just start to rise up. If a man is a disciple and he's the head of his house, look at his wife. There you will have a powerful, functioning woman. And vice versa. And the same characteristics will be evident in both. And they will manifest in each other's lives. And then take a look at their children. Children are a reflection of their parents. I'm always watching your children. I'm giving away my secrets here. <laughs> Children reflect what is given to them in their home. Have you ever been? Oh, well, you, you have. This is, yeah, you've been to a shopping center and you've walked around the shopping center and there's this little kid going nuts. Going nuts, berserk, screeching, screaming. And, there, and, there, and there's the parent, you know, trying to control this whole situation there. Now, come on. I know that you've made a judgment on their parenthood. I know that. Because I have. And you know what Timothy says? You want to pick a leader in the church. Look at his children. If he can't rule that child, how is he going to rule the house of God? And so children need to reflect and grow up in this environment of, 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 of what a disciple is. And I'm telling you now, these children are, are, are going to grow up. They're not going to be these little whimsical little, you know. They are going to be phenomenal children, as wild as you can get. But they're going to be obedient children. 
They're going to be honorable children. They're going to have respect. They're going to have reverence. I will guarantee, I'll put money down here right now. Anyone want to take my bet, feel free to do so. But I will guarantee I can pick up any teacher here. I'll bring up any teacher right now. Got a couple of them in our congregation. And I can say to them, based on your observance of the behavior of your children at home, in the classroom, have you made a judgment as to whether they come from a Christian home that is properly discipled or an unchristian home? And I'll guarantee, because my wife's a teacher, so I've got the inside track on this, I'll guarantee that they have made the observation, and that observation has been confirmed by interaction with the parents later on. Because as the child is, so the parent is. And so you get in that little screaming child, when they go to school, that behavior is going to translate into school, and then when you start disciplining that child and you get hold of the parent, you're going to see the parent is exactly the same. And so a disciple influences everything. He goes to God in intimacy. God influences him. And wherever he goes, he influences others. And so you've got this checklist that you can fulfill, this picture of a disciple here. This is what he is in his spirit. This is what he is in his character. This is what his home looks like. This is what his ministry looks like. And I'll be talking about ministry next week. And here's the thing you've got to put in your head right now with regards to this disciple. This disciple is flawed but authentic. Why is that? Because he is on the road to becoming like Jesus. He'll never reach it, but he is becoming like Jesus. And every single day, he progresses closer. So here's the big question. I've been dealing with this question since I've been in the church, since I've been running the church. So the big question is this. What moves a disciple from where they are to become like Jesus? What is it? Now, here's something you can go and test me on, okay? I have examined this. I've studied this. I've looked at this. I've asked myself the question, what is the difference? I've asked myself the question, what is the difference between disciple A and disciple B? Is it an environmental difference that makes disciple A just click into gear and just stepping towards God and just achieve for God. And what happens with discipleship B is this, they go around the mountain, they go around the mountain, they're dealing with the same problems and the same issues. And you, you've got year one, you counsel them about issue one. Year two, you counsel them about issue one. Year three, you counsel them about issue one. And it's just round and round and round they go. And what is the difference? Is there some kind of a switch that the Holy Spirit just switches in A and doesn't switch in B or forgets to switch in B. And so we've got a forgetful Holy Spirit out there because we've got so many of these Christians out there that just seem to be going round and round the mountain. For a while I thought to myself, there might be super disciples with special powers that are more special than others. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, looked at these Super, super people, and, then, and what power would you like? Invisibility or strength? 
you know. I'm watching this new, new TV series on Sunday night, Tower Prep. The kids have got special abilities. And they're getting trained to develop their special abilities. So, disciple A, does he have more special abilities than disciple B? Is that it? What happens suddenly when you're looking at disciple A and they're going along and then suddenly they just explode? And something happens in discipleship, disciple B after going round and round and round and round and round the mountain and suddenly something happens there and then all my thinking and thought process about the difference here goes out the window. And I've been thinking about this for years. And I've got the answer. Allah, David, answer. This is my answer. So you go and get your own answer. You go and test me on this answer. And being that it's me, I try and make it as simple as possible for me. Okay, so this is very, very simplistic, basic answer to this big problem that I've been meditating on and thinking on for a long time. And here it is. Two things. That's it. Two things. The difference between disciple A and disciple B. Two things. One, an irrevocable decision is made. That's it. A person comes to salvation and they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. There is nothing that that person can do to earn that salvation. It is the gift of God, period. But between that moment, post-salvation moment, the difference between that person looking at the ticket in their hand and realizing this is for the battleship or this is for the P&O cruiser is that that person makes one decision and it's irrevocable. Now you go and ask any disciple that is a type A disciple that is progressing and they will be able to pinpoint the period of time where they made that decision. Now, if you came to me and said, David, when did you make the, that decision? I'll tell you. First of the first 1980 midnight service, I made my irrevocable decision. I'd been bought, brought up in a church. I was born under a church pew. I got filled in with the Holy Spirit when I was in year eight. I grew up in the youth. I grew up in the Sunday school. At high school, I went off the tracks. End of high school, came back. First of the first 1980, I stood up and I said, today, I make an irrevocable decision. You go and ask any type A disciple, and I'm not saying type A, type B disciple to differentiate. I'm just using that as an illustration of this is a disciple that is activating and this is a disciple that's not activating. And the decision that these people make is this. Lord, I give you the right to change me. That's it. That's it. Lord, I give you the right to change me. It sounds easy, 
But go and ask the disciple about the process of change. Now, that's a different story altogether. That's where we get spiritual warfare. That's where we get all this warfare going on. That's where we get all the struggles going on. That's where the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And there's this big, big fight going on inside of me. And all this, because we're becoming. But it all starts. It all starts. On the foundation of salvation that Jesus Christ has given to you, it all starts with you looking up at Jesus and saying, Jesus... Today, I give you the right to change me. You are my Lord. Now, if I can use some biblical terms, that term could be used as bond slavery. Let me explain what that meant. In the old days, slavery was just part and parcel of everyday life. And a person became a slave in a household. And for some reason or other, when that slave got emancipated by the owner, that slave could either take his ownership papers and go off and become free, because he's free now, or that slave could turn to his master and say, I don't want this. I want to become a bond slave. I want to become a slave by choice. I want to serve you with my life for the rest of my life. And the symbol of that was to actually get his ear pinned to the door. Nail, ding, 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 ding. Dare I go earrings? No. <laughs> so Jesus Christ has come to you and died on the cross, and he said to you, if you accept the salvation, you are free. And that one decision... That one decision is that irrevocable choice by you turning back to Jesus and saying, Lord, I will serve you with my life, no matter what the cost, that irrevocable choice. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing that makes the difference between a disciple that is functioning and growing and a disciple that is just going in on themselves Tape, tape, is one word, commitment. Commitment. And that's my third point that I want to talk to you about, commitment. You have to be committed to honoring your decision. You have to be committed to honoring your decision. Because there's going to be times... When the roller coaster is not pleasant. And you're going to have to be committed to staying on. There are going to be times when the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to deal with issues within your life. There are going to be times when the Holy Spirit is going to come in and start working on your character and saying, my son, my daughter, there's a little box that I need to be ticked. And so I'm going to have to work on this area with you. So come with me into the training desert. And there I will train you in these things. And then I will test you and put you on a trial to see whether you've passed these things. And there has to be that commitment to that irrevocable decision. I don't care what happens to me, I will do it. So I've got five points under commitment that I want to quickly go through. And then I want to end off by giving you a challenge. The first point of commitment is this. 
A disciple is someone who understands the concept of commitment. Okay? A disciple is someone who understands the concept of commitment. It is the resolve to honor the decision we've made to serve Jesus. And if you go and look at every disciple in the, in, 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 in the Bible, every one of them came to that irrevocable decision. Joshua has the perfect words for this. As for me and my house, we will serve God. Irrevocable. Abraham, I will follow the Lord. And he had to back it up with commitment by leaving. So what is the level of your resolve? What is the level of your determination? Your steadfastness? The application of your willpower, your grit? That when you get taken into the desert to be trained by the Holy Spirit, that you will determine to stick with it? That when the enemy comes to try and kill, steal, and destroy this decision of yours, that you're going to stick with it? So we come back to my original question, because it's not as clear as you might think. Who is responsible in your life for the environment that you're in? Who is responsible in your life for the journey from baby to novice? Novice making the commitment. Born again to recruit. Recruit making the commitment to take the journey through to becoming a veteran soldier. And how much personal responsibility do you have? For the sake of your discipleship. One, understands commitment. Two, understands that commitment is necessary. You are not alone. You are not saved to be an individual stone. You are saved and put into a living body. And for you to function, these two things need to be in operation for you to function fully within that body. Irrevocable decision to say, Jesus, change me. And an irrevocable decision to do what he asks you to do. Then he takes you and places you in the body so that you can begin to function according to the design he's placed within you. So a disciple understands the necessity of commitment. 1 Corinthians 12, you can go and read that, 12 to 14 and 1 Corinthians 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be there. Third thing about commitment is this. Commitment involves a leaving and a cleaving. Commitment involves forsaking Ways and forsaking people. This is not a popular topic of discussion. But a disciple understands. A disciple understands that when he is placed within an environment, by going into that environment means that he has to leave the environment he's come from. He has to leave the things that he did in that previous environment and he has to leave the people in that previous environment. 
When a disciple understands that he cannot function on a cruise liner, he has to function on a battleship. And he has to take his ticket, hand it in and get his call-up papers and move. The lifestyle of the P&O liner cannot be transferred to the cruise line, uh, to the battleship. The mentality of some of the people there on the cruise liner cannot be transferred onto the battleship. And some of these people on the cruise liner cannot be brought with. I'm not saying God is not going to bless the cruise liner. I'm not saying God is not going to bless people where they're at there. But I'm saying a disciple knows when he comes from the world into the church, there is a leaving and a cleaving. And when he steps up into discipleship, often this takes place as well. Isaiah 55, 7. Those people that are doing the foundation course, they'll know exactly what the scripture represents, what foundation stone. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts and let them turn to the Lord. We did that last week. Okay. Number four, a disciple is a person who clearly understands that commitment is the way to normalcy. You want abundance? You want to be a conqueror? You want to be victorious? You want to be triumphant? You want to be holy? It involves commitment. It involves you understanding commitment. It involves you implementing commitment because that commitment helps you take step by step along that journey the closer you get in with God the more intimate with God the more committed you are to that intimacy the more you are going to change it will change who you are it will begin to change where you live it will begin to change how you live it will begin to change where you worship, how you worship, who you serve with, and it will begin to change your understanding of the local church. Okay. Commitment. A disciple understands that. That was my first point. Commitment. A disciple understands that it's necessary. That was my second point. A, com a commitment. A disciple understands that it involves forsaking. And number four, commitment involves, a, a disciple understands that it is, it is the activation towards normalcy. Number five, commitment can be seen and measured. All right? Commitment can be seen and measured. I'm going to quickly go through this verse of scripture here. I'm going to quickly go through these uh, points that I've got under this last point, and then I'm going to give you the challenge. So we're not going to be that much longer. Acts chapter 2, 41 to 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number daily, that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions, their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together and were glad, uh, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now remember the frame of reference I gave you at the beginning? What you are, God sees. What you are, you see. What you are, other people see. Now, commitment can be seen and measured. Here are some measurements. Number one, it can be measured in obedience. Okay? Commitment can be measured in obedience. Just look at the disciple and see how obedient they are to the things of God. They heard the word of the Lord. They got baptized. Obedience. Number two, devotion. All right? Have a look at their devotion. Now, go and, go, and, go and study the word devotion. Go and look at what devotion actually is. They were devoted to specific things. These, these disciples were fanatical. Devoted to the teaching. Devoted to the fellowship. Devoted to breaking of bread. Devoted to prayer. And they had established a continuous devotion to the things of God. Easiest way to pick up on devotion is go and listen to the language. What are they talking about? What makes them come alive? <laughs> this is me. The more intimate a disciple gets, the harder it is for them to converse with people when they're not conversing about God. Think about that for a minute. That's devotion. All right, doers. They become doers of the word. These people don't just go to church. These people understand that they are the church. Expectant. Watch how a disciple talks about their ministry. And I'll talk to you about ministry next week. Whenever a disciple who understands commitment talks about their ministry, they expect results. If I'm mentoring someone, I expect results. And I'm not ashamed to tell the people I'm mentoring, I'm expecting results. If I put the word of God into someone's life, I expect signs and wonders to follow the word. I expect change within that person's life. And so if you go and want to measure a disciple, go and look at what they do and what they say, and go and look at their expectancy with regards to the application of their ministry. What did Jesus say when the disciples came back to him and said, Wow! I can't believe it, Lord! The demons are flying! What was Jesus' response? Yeah. I know, I already saw Satan fall like lightning. Expectancy. Number five, unity. Committed to the body. Committed to one another. They don't just 
come to church. They are the church. And they work towards the unity of the body. Servanthood and selflessness. A concept about a disciple is this. They have given up the right of non-involvement. Because they realize that they are a part of a body and it's their duty to function or the whole body is not going to work. And so by making that irrevocable decision to say, Jesus, change me, and by stepping up and making that commitment, you will start to see that the disciple becomes selfless. The disciple has an understanding. They have to perform so that the body of Jesus Christ can perform so that it can fulfill its function by making more disciples and extending the kingdom. They give us. Now, whenever, you know, we need to start understanding. Whenever people talk about giving, we need to stop thinking only of money. When you walk away from a disciple, somewhere, somehow, that disciple has given you something. Test me out on this now. The next time you enter into someone who you think is a disciple, walk away from that conversation and just start examining, was I given anything? Think about that. Am I encouraged? Was I challenged? Did I come away with a bit of love? Was I given hospitality? Did that disciple's gift get activated and have an impact in my life? Givers. A disciple is in a right relationship. This is a difficult one. It's the same as the one leaving and cleaving. A a disciple understands right right relations. This this gets thrown back to Matthew 22, the the command of God. Right relationship with God. And then a right relationship with others around them. And a disciple, you will always know a disciple because of that right relationship with God. That is their primary relationship. Here's, here's something from me. This is, this is personal from me. And I'm giving you another one of my secrets. My openness to people is dependent on my knowing the level of their right relationship with God. Think about that. I'm not interested in them if they're coming into me, and this is the mistake some people have made over the ministry. They want to walk in, oh yeah, we committed to you, David. Whoa, big mistake. Don't ever say that to me. Big mistake, because then I'm watching you like a hawk. Because if your commitment and relationship is given just to me, then somewhere, somehow, we're going to have a, have a rough period of time in that relationship. And that relationship is going to change 
And conflict's going to erupt out of that relationship. But if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is solid, and I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is solid, if we go through a rough patch, we will respond to each other based on our relationship with Christ. And so a disciple is truly committed to his primary relationship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from there, he has no problem relating to other people who are similarly related. And anyone else who is not similarly related, he will then make the purpose of discipling them and connecting them with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish now. Last point, faithful, faithfulness. Coming back to the circle of commitment. These people in this church in Acts were faithful. They were reliable. They were dependable. And you can measure that faithfulness to their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can measure it. You can go back to Matthew 22 and you can measure it on that. That's commitment. I'm going to close now. It has been said that um, Christians are an acquired taste. Okay? True disciples are really, really acquired taste. How many of you love olives here? All right. Now, Anna doesn't love olives, but I'm teaching her daughters to love olives. So by the time they get older, they're going to be olive lovers. And she'll never be an olive luck. She hasn't acquired the taste. Disciples are like that. Not like olives, but... <laughs> you have to acquire the taste. The fellowship, the fellowship of disciples is an imperfect fellowship. By people learning to live a new life in a new way. And they are all on the journey to progress towards that goal, those lists that I was giving you. And that is not going to be accomplished by the waving of a wand. That is going to be accomplished by a life-long journey. And the day you get to Tick the last box, and I, I've got an idea what that last box is. In the last box on the last line, he has become like Jesus. Tick. And then if the rapture hasn't happened, it'll just be tick. <sighs> and you'll be with the Lord. Flawed, but authentic. And it's not going to be accomplished without conflict. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens another. I'm going to challenge you now. I'm going to challenge you now. This is your challenge. Two things. One, the irrevocable decision. If you are sitting here today, or if you're on the iTunes, if you're on the iTunes at podcast land, 
And you, you, if, if, you, if, you're, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, okay, and, and, and like me, you can pinpoint the date, and you haven't really wavered off your decision, your irrevocable decision, your commitment's there. I want you to go back to that commitment. And your challenge is just to renew it. Just to go back there and just, just go, go to the Lord, thank Him. I mean, there's a scripture that says that it's by His mercy we have this ministry. Thank Him for this life that you've had. Thank Him for the abundance that He's given you, the victory, the, con- the you know, all that stuff that He's given you. Thank, you. thank You for your salvation. Thank You for the opportunity, Lord. And just go back to Him. If you, if you are committed and you've made that irrevocable decision and you can pinpoint it, just go back and say, Lord, I want to again recommit my life to You. I want to again say, yes, Lord, here am I. Irrevocably change me. Give me some more anointing of the Holy Spirit, some encouragement of the Holy Spirit to, to, to step in more. If you're in that category, that's what I want you to do. If you've been born again, and you're of a category that that is just a little bit vague, all right, and you seem to be moving ahead, but you seem to be sort of circling a little bit to the left and circling a little bit to the right, and coming back and you're saying, I'm sure I've been here before. Whose footprints are those? Oops, mine. You might have gone around the bush a, a few times. What I want you to do this week coming up, before we come to next week's message, message which is about making a difference about your ministry and finishing off on this topic of discipleship, I want you to go and draw a line in the sand. I want you to go and create a date in your mind where you go before the Lord. Go into your room Close the door. Get yourself some time, half an hour, 15 minutes, half an hour. And I want you to go before the Lord and I want you to date claim your decision. And I want you to stand before the Lord and I want you to understand that on this day, I've become a bond slave. I've taken that freedom note that the Lord has given me. I've given it back to him. And as of today, Lord, I will irrevocably serve you. And I pray that you will help me honor that commitment. Then go get those three questions and answer them. Who is responsible for your environment? Who is responsible for your walk? How much personal responsibility? And go and try and answer those questions. But for those of you who sort of are a little bit vague or been going around the bush a little bit, I want you to come before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, this is it. This is it. Here's my date. For those of you who have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can do two in one. You can come before the Lord and you can say to the Lord, Lord, I've heard your message. I've heard what you've had to say. I believe. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Accept him as your savior. And then say to the Lord, today, I irrevocably serve you.
no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, no matter what the cost, I will serve you from this day onwards. That's the first thing I want you to do. That's the first challenge out there for you. For those that have date claimed, for those that haven't date claimed, and for those that are unsaved, that's what I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do is begin to honor your decision by commitment. Go answer those three questions and take responsibility for answering those three questions. And then examine yourself. Examine yourself. Just spend some time, half an hour, an hour, just sit there. Take the week and just go through your life and just say, Lord, I want to be more like you. You've got the four areas you can look at. My spiritual qualifications, my character qualifications, my domestic qualifications, my ministry qualifications. And just sit down and meditate and have a discussion with the Lord. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the richness of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that you provided for us a way of salvation and then you respected us enough to give us the choice to be your disciples. I want to pray for your disciples right now, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that they will be able to sit this week ahead and just test themselves and examine themselves and gain such an understanding of the richness of this life that you've given to us that they will stand up and say, Lord, today, today is the day that I irrevocably serve you. And I pray, Lord, that you will send to them ministers, fathers, mothers, the gospel, the anointing, and especially the Holy Spirit to stir up the gifts within them, to give them an understanding of their placement in the body, and to activate them, to activate them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as they sit with you in the week that lies ahead, you will give them a revelation of what you see them to be. And the impact of what you want them to do, to, to do in the kingdom of God. And I commit them to you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless.